Hey, this is Dave Pryor for Leading Agile Sound Notes. This podcast is going to be another Sound Notes tutorial, and today I'm going to focus all on estimation. When I'm teaching the CSM and CSPO classes, estimation is a topic of stress for many of the people in the room. And it's not really as complicated as it seems. When people come in with different preconceptions about what a story point actually is, they work in a place that might think story points and time are supposed to be equal, which they're not. Um, there's all different kinds of weird dysfunctional stuff that can happen. So I just want to go over in this podcast what I cover in the class about estimation. When I'm working with teams and we're estimating product backlog items, something like a user story, we typically estimate those using story points. When we break those product backlog items down into individual tasks, we estimate those using ideal hours. So I'm going to talk through how each of these things work. But before I start, I just want to go over a few basic things that are important to understand if you're talking about story points. The first thing is that points are not time. A story point is meant to be a rough guess at how big something is in comparison to other things in the product backlog. And when you're looking at it, you're always considering risk, complexity, and effort, but not just time. Time leaves out other things that are really important to factor in. But if you want to use time, that's fine. Nobody really cares. If you want to estimate all the stuff in your product backlog with time, that's totally cool. So it's not something to get stressed out about, but I would encourage you to avoid trying to turn points into time. Because if you're doing that, you're starting out by estimating stuff with risk, complexity, and effort. And then you're just abandoning risk and complexity and switching back to simply hours. So if you want to use time, just use time and let the rest of us use story points the way they're intended, risk, complexity, and effort. A common way to do estimation at the story point level would be to use something like poker planning. When we're using poker planning to estimate work, what I've typically done with teams is when we start doing it, the first thing we have to do is to pick a unit of measure. So the team will select something from the product backlog that they feel like they have a pretty good understanding of and something that's pretty small. And we're gonna give that a number. It could be any number you want, I typically will work with teams that use Fibonacci, so we might give it a two or a three. You could give it a one, but I've often found that even though we think we have found the smallest thing, there's gonna be something smaller later on. So I like two or three, but you can pick whatever you want. But whatever thing we pick, we give that thing a number, and that becomes the unit of measure that we use to gauge the size of the other things in the product backlog. So let's say the team has picked an item, they've said this is a three, and the next thing that happens is they pick another product backlog item and they talk about it with the product owner. So the product owner might read the item to the team, explain the user story to them, talk about the acceptance criteria, and in their discussion, they might change the story. They might add acceptance criteria or break it up into smaller pieces, but they're gonna talk about it till they get a sense of the scope of this thing. When all the team members feel like they have an understanding, a shared understanding of the scope, then they might be ready to vote. So what they're gonna do is look through their poker planning cards or use whatever online tool you're using and each person will be thinking about this particular user story in comparison to that unit of measure, that thing that we said was a three. Each person will select the number that they think represents the relative size and then all at once, all the team members will show their number. And what's supposed to happen now is now that everyone's showing their number, their vote for the size of the thing, if we're not all in agreement, we want to have the high and the low vote explain why they voted the way they did. Now, what often happens is you'll find that there's one team member who's considering one aspect of it, another team member is considering another aspect of it, 
And it's through this discussion that they come to a shared understanding of the scope. And that's really the reason we're estimating work this way, is we want to get to a point where everyone on the team, including the product owner, is on the same page in terms of understanding how big this thing actually is. And remember, it's called an estimate, not an exactimate. So this doesn't have to be perfect. And you can change the estimate at any point in time while the item's in the product backlog. Whenever you learn more information about it, you can re-estimate it. Another thing that's important to, to keep in mind is that when the team members are estimating the thing, they're not estimating it just based on the part that they will play or might play in the creation of that thing. One thing I've seen with a lot of new teams is when we vote the first time around, the developer might say it's a one, the QA person says it's a hundred. And typically when something like that happens, the developer's only thinking about the part that they're going to do and the QA person's thinking about the part that they're going to do. But through the conversation, they start to understand more about the part that each person on the team is going to have to play in the creation of this thing. And they'll vote again. So Mike Cohn's instructions for how to do this say you keep voting until you converge on you know one shared understanding of the size of this thing. What I've found is sometimes, especially with brand new teams, that can take a really long time. So what I usually encourage teams to do is you can go up to three rounds, but then you want to have some kind of rule like if we don't have agreement after three rounds, we're going to go with the pessimistic number or the optimistic number or the number in the middle, whatever you want to choose. It doesn't really matter, but it will help you get through this stuff faster. Now, keep in mind that we're going to task these things out later on. So they're not meant to be perfectly defined and detailed the same way you would in a Gantt chart. This is just a rough guess. The same kind of guess you'd have if a contractor walked in your house, looked at your plumbing and said, oh, that's going to cost about $800 to fix. When they give that estimate, they haven't taken all your pipes apart. They've just listened to whatever information you have to share with them and they take a guess based on what they know. And that's what's happening with the relative sizing here. We're looking at whatever information we have for that product backlog item. We're comparing it against our unit of measure and we're making a guess as to how big that thing is. I usually have one unit of measure. I've been on teams as well that would have two or three different things they want to compare it against, and that's fine as well. But what you're trying to get here is a rough, high-level guess of how big the thing is, again, in terms of risk, complexity, and effort, compared back to that original unit of measure. So another popular technique for estimating is affinity estimation. There's lots of different ways to do this as well. I'm just going to go over how I've done it with teams in the past. So when I'm working with a team that's doing affinity estimation, what we'll typically do is grab a number of product backlog items. And we'll take a couple minutes and silently order them on the wall. So we'll create one horizontal line of all the product backlog items we're considering, and we'll put them in order from smallest to largest. Now we're going to do this silently because each one of us has different opinions about why things are where they are. And if you put something in a place that I don't agree with, I can move it. And that's how we have the debate. But after the time box is over, or when we get to a point where we're not moving things anymore, then we've got this sense of how big stuff is in comparison to the other items that we've got on the wall. Once the team has these things ordered, the next step can be for the product owner to start to answer questions about these items. The team and the product owner will talk about why things are in certain places on the wall, and that might cause the team to have a different understanding of some of those product backlog items, and they might get moved around. Once you've got them ordered, then you can group them into sizes. This is one of the places that t-shirt sizing can come from. So I might have a group of small product backlog items, a group of medium product backlog items, and a group of large product backlog items. And then I can take the other stuff out of the product backlog and start to put those in place as well, or in these different buckets. 
and it tends to be pretty quick. It's a very popular way of doing it. I think for me, one of the tricks with this is that you're still going to have to switch to numbers at some point because your velocity can't be three mediums and a small. So I, that's why I tend to just start out with numbers and I like to use Fibonacci, but you could use whatever number sequence you want to use. I've been on teams that do one, two, three and two, four, eight and whatever. That's totally up to the team. The main things here to remember are that we're always sizing things in comparison to other items in the product backlog. And then when we're sizing them, we're thinking about risk, complexity, and effort. And we are not just thinking about time. We want the team to get to a shared understanding of the scope of the work. We want them to come to an agreement on how big the thing is. And then they can move on from there. So if you're doing poker planning or affinity estimation or some other technique of estimating items at the product backlog item level, like something like a user story, that's typically going to happen during product backlog refinement with the team. It could also happen during sprint planning. When we get into sprint planning, that's when we actually task the workout. So that should not happen before sprint planning because you might be wasting time in a sprint tasking stuff out that you may not end up doing in the next sprint or may not end up doing at all. So we wait until we get to a point where the product owner is saying, this particular item is so important, I really would like to ask you guys to work on it in the next sprint. And if the team feels like they have enough clarity on it to be able to get it done in a sprint, and size-wise, a good rule of thumb is that a product backlog item should not really take more than two to three days to go from a post-it on the wall to potentially shippable product. If it's that size and the team feels comfortable that they can get it done during the course of a sprint, then they might decide, okay, well, we think we're going to do this thing, so let's task it out. Now what's going to happen there is all the team members are going to talk about this particular product backlog item and they're going to create a list of activities, all the things that are required that have to be done in order to be able to bring this thing back to the product owner and say, we think this thing is ready to ship. So they're going to create a list of tasks. It's very similar to creating a work breakdown structure from traditional project management. So they'll list out all the tasks, and then they'll estimate the tasks in ideal hours. So that is you at your desk uninterrupted. You don't check Facebook. You don't go to the bathroom. Nobody interrupts you. You don't answer your phone or check your email. You're just cranking work out. If there's two people on your team that might be available to do a certain task during the course of a sprint, but we don't know which one of them is going to end up doing it during the sprint, they're each going to have to weigh in and say, I think this is going to take this long. So let's say we've got one guy who's expert on this particular type of task and that person's probably only going to take an hour to do it. There's another person on the team that's done it once or twice, but for them it's probably four hours of work. The team is going to have to come to agreement on how much time they want to set aside for this particular task. There's not a rule about how this has to work, they're just supposed to make a responsible choice. I always think of this as if I have a pie of capacity, I'm cutting out a slice and setting it aside for this particular task. So they'll go through for any, any user story or any product backlog item they think they're going to work on in the sprint, they figure out how they're going to do it by listing out all the tasks, and they estimate all those tasks in ideal hours. So at this point, you've got a user story that's been estimated using story points, which is a rough guess of risk, complexity, and effort of the size of this thing in comparison to the unit of measure your team came up with. But now you've also got a list of activities that have to be achieved in order to deliver this story, and those are all estimated in time. So for those people that were missing time, you still get that, just not at the story level. So then we can say, okay, we think it's this big in terms of story points, we think it's this many hours of work, and then you can move on to the next thing. When I'm working with teams in sprint planning, one of the reasons that I like to task the stuff out and estimate it in hours is because then we can total up the number of hours of work we think we have for the sprint and figure out if we have the capacity to get that work done. So that's one way of checking to make sure we have enough to do, but not too much, we're not, we don't want to overcommit. But another way to protect against that 
is to also look at the total number of story points that we're bringing into a sprint. And we can ask the question, have we ever done this many story points before? What is our average velocity over the last couple sprints? Does this seem like a reasonable amount of work? I always want to try to encourage the team to fill the bucket of work as, as much as they can, but try not to overfill it. So you want to make sure that you're not bringing in too much and not bringing in too little. There's going to be time that you miss, and that's okay too. We're always just trying to get better at doing this stuff. There's one point I want to emphasize about story points. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, if you're using story points, each team is going to have to come up with its own unit of measure. That means that each team is going to be estimating story points in a different way. So you could have two teams with the same number of people that are achieving the same amount of work, but for one team, that could be 10 points. For another team, it could be 30 points because they each have a different unit of measure and they're sizing things on their own. So if you work in an organization that is trying to look at how many points teams are getting done in sprints and saying, well, this team's doing 30 points, the other team's doing 10, so the 30-point team might be better than the 10-point team, that's generally not a very accurate way of assessing that, and it's not a very healthy thing to do. If you feel compelled to compare teams, you could look at things like what percent of the work that they commit to in the sprint is actually being achieved by the end of the sprint, or how is their velocity fluctuating, or how many defects are escaping their sprint. There's lots of other metrics that you can consider if you want to try to understand the health of one team in comparison to another. So before closing out, I want to just talk briefly about a couple of reasons that story points are really valuable. One is that the product owner is always trying to figure out how much work they can ask for in a sprint. And if they understand the team's average velocity, they can use that to kind of guess it. Well, you know, they normally do 37 points a sprint. I should feel comfortable asking for about that much work. And if your team can get to a stable velocity, which is one of the foundational things any team needs to be able to do in Agile, is to be able to make and meet commitments. If they can get to a stable velocity or an average velocity that's fairly consistent, then the product owner can look ahead and try to figure out when the release will be ready. And the business can start to plan based on that kind of information. So for any development team, they're always trying to get to a better understanding of how to estimate work and how to make sure that when they plan a sprint, they can make and meet commitments. So that's why tasking things out and estimating those in ideal hours and checking against your capacity is also really important. For the team, story points are valuable because of the discussion that we have. When we're talking about a story in terms of risk, complexity, and effort, we get to a shared understanding of the scope of the thing. And we can also check that with the product owner to make sure we're all on the same page. But it's really important that when teams are estimating work that they be allowed to do this on their own. That's one of the rules of this is that only the people doing the work are supposed to be estimating the work. I have been on teams and worked on projects where there is some person up in a special room who decides how big stuff is. And when those items come down to the team, I still ask the team to re-estimate it because the team is going to do the work. And part of them investing themselves in this work and owning this work is them deciding how big they think the thing actually is. So that's pretty much it for estimation. If you look on the Leading Agile website in the field notes section, you're going to see a lot of different posts on estimation. So if you want to dig into different techniques or find out more about it, you can definitely do that there. And I'm going to include links to two particular posts on the Leading Agile site, one by Marty Bradley, one by Mike Kottmeyer, that I found particularly valuable in thinking about this stuff, and I hope they'll be helpful to you as well. Thanks. Thanks.